We want to welcome you to Destiny Bible College again. We're going to be taking up our next lesson with Biblical Management Principles. And this is uh, chapter 9, and it's titled Conflicts and Deci uh, Discipline. Now, in our last lesson, we had a model that we used, and we hope that you have listened to uh, class 2, and that would have been lesson uh, 4, I believe, where we talked about the mold or, or the model for decision making, which will be helpful. Anytime that we're doing conflict and having to do discipline. Now, our objectives in this lesson are as follows. And our memory verse, of course, is one that we need to, to write out in your syllabus, but also uh, if you don't know this verse, we encourage you to familiarize yourself with it, memorize it, and uh, then we're going to be breaking that passage of Scripture down shortly. The passage of Scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, as we already have stated. Now, in our chapter 7, we discussed uh, or we studied about the task of leaders. And again, I think it would be worth mentioning in the fact that we're talking about conflict and discipline here, that those two tasks were that uh, the leader uh, is going to need to provide discipline. Now, discipline is not just meaning correction. It can, uh, well, uh, correction, I meant, it can be direction. And uh, also, it will be solving conflicts, solving conflicts. Now, most of us, when we think of a leader, or a lot of people, I should say, uh, they think it's the limelight being in front, making the decisions, um, everything's fine, the attention's on you, that's not total leadership. Uh, leadership is when you have to get your hands dirty sometimes and you have to provide um, good uh, direction and also be ready to assist with re resolving or solving conflicts. Now, discipline is correction of those who are wrong. Um, and also a conflict is a fight or quarrel. A good uh, leader must uh, provide correction and be able to solve problems between his followers. Now, we're going to be discussing um, next disagreeing without conflict. I have marked in my syllabus that I believe that this is a definite true point when we think about disagreeing without conflict. Uh, people can disagree without having conflict, but conflict often results from disagreements. It is not different. Uh, it is not difference of opinions that hurt and destroy. Now think about that. Just because we have a different idea or thought or opinion is not that ought to be that hurts, or it's not that that hurts or destroys, but the failure to love when we have them. So that's the key, is what our motive and our attitude um, and the actual fruit of the Spirit being involved in our life and our sanctification walk.
because remember the first one's love we can disagree in love um, I'm going to make this statement I had a dear cousin and she was like a sister instead of a first cousin and we did not see political we did not see a lot of things definitely even scriptural um, but again I loved her and she loved me and we respected one another had some marvelous conversations over um, our lives and of course she's uh, passed now and uh, anyway uh, I said all that to say this we loved one another we respected one another even though we didn't agree um, there's a there's a vivid and a very important uh, I uh, illustration and not just an illustration but an actual um, event that took place in the biblical uh, of that of Acts chapter 15 and let me just bring out just a little bit of highlight about that particular um, passage of scripture and if you haven't read it uh, I encourage you to read it or if it's been a while since you read it or while we're doing this study and we we know that there had come some issues amongst uh, definitely um, the Gentile uh, coming into that of salvation and coming into the church and uh, there was questions in reference to um, circumcision was one of the things and we know that there was a church council that took place and we realized that there was those that went to Jerusalem and amongst those that were sent was uh, Paul and Barnabas and also there was one called Judas and Silas now most of us were probably more familiar with Paul and Barnabas and Silas but just for a moment let me just uh, emphasize who Judas was this is not Iscariot because if you remember um, he um, he has already uh, perished and what I find interesting about this individual is uh, one of the things is that he was um, multiple named as many were but he would have actually been uh, the other candidate to replace Judas Iscariot and we know Matthias uh, received that appointment uh, there in uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, 1 when the disciples assembled or the apostles assembled and you know I'm just going to say this for just the sake of saying it and you can run with it the way you want to uh, and, and I pray that God's direction and will was done there in that decision but sometimes I wonder the fact that his name was Judas also. He got a bad rap uh, because they were actually uh, finding someone to replace Judas's, uh, Judas Iscariot's place. But uh, the reason I brought up these four individuals is definitely, even in that passage of Scripture, the 15th chapter, we find that there arose um, even uh, this... Uh, decision that was made and of course there was a good decision made there and it brought unity to the church and things of that nature but we do understand in uh, verses 36 through 41 uh, we know that Paul and Barnabas had been doing ministry together 
and uh, I want to mention a couple things in reference to these four individuals that I have mentioned in just a moment. And I'm going to give you some scripture. We won't turn there and read them, but I encourage you to write these down in your notes and take these because this is a vivid, this is a very important example of how God uses our personalities, our differences, our talents, our abilities, uh, our callings, uh, our gifts, and how that we can disagree and go on in love and God can multiply and God can use those things to, it may look like a division in the natural, but God can take the division and God can multiply that there's an addition uh, in, in his kingdom. Now, with that being said, we find in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 11, that there was this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and they've been traveling, they've been doing missionary journeys together. <clears throat> and, of course, we understand that Mark, and or John Mark, uh, he would have been the gospel writer of the uh, book of Mark, and he was uh, some relation to Barnabas and uh, could have been a nephew but anyway, um, what we see here is that Barnabas, well, well, let me back up. John Mark had uh, departed from, from them on a, a previous journey. And whatever the time period is now, uh, Paul and Barnabas are, are going to go out. Uh, they have a, a disagreement about John Mark going with them. And I even see that productive in the terms of what could have been their argument i'm thinking in the realms of paul he's the let's go get it done we don't need no hindrances um we, we need the spiritual maturity and maybe he was looking at it that that mark was not as mature as he needed to be then again we've got to remember that barnabas his actual name means encourager one that lifts up and so I can see how that God would even use this man because there's times that people need just someone to stand with them, encourage them, build them up, and bring them to the level of maturing or help them to reach that level of maturing or continual maturing. And I think this is a vivid and important example of how even through this disagreement and it was to the point that we don't see them get angry and I, I can see Paul getting in Barnabas face and and I believe they were they were they were uh, uh, tactful I believe they said what they had to say they said it in love they said it in Christian uh, uh, value but yet it did not stop even later them being a part of uh, possibly the work of God overall now, I said all that to say this, what happens is we see two new ministry teams formed here. And with that being said, we began to see how that Paul and Silas began to travel together. And then there would have been evidence that Judas and Silas would have even been a part of this that had taken place in the council there uh, with the decision that needed to be made in reference to circumcision and the Gentile. Now, I want to give you some information that's not in your syllabus, but what I find important, because we've been talking about in previous scriptures how that God, or, or how through that Jesus, he gave gifts. And we know that we have the fivefold 
gifting of that of the apostle, the prophet, and uh, the pastor, and the teacher, and the evangelist. Now, what we find is on those first uh, few uh, travels of Paul and Barnabas, we would have had two apostles. Both of them are mentioned as apostles. You'll find in Acts chapter 14, in verse 14, we see Paul and Barnabas being called apostles. Now, I think that's interesting because they had been sent forth even in the 13th chapter of Acts, and we see how that they went into many areas and established churches. Then we find in Acts chapter 15 and verse 32 how that there was Judas and Silas, and they were called prophets. Now, what is beautiful here is how that God takes this that looked as a division after the dispute of Paul and Barnabas, the ministry teams changed to bring important service to the churches and spread the gospel for kingdom service for God's glory. So with that being said, Barnabas would have took Paul and then we would have seen that uh, Bar excuse me, Barnabas would have took Mark and Paul and Silas would have went together. So we would have had, this is what is unique, we would have had the apostle and the prophet working together because there's places in scripture it talks about they went to some of the churches and it was to strengthen them, to encourage them. And then we find how that Barnabas and Mark go out and we have the apostle and the evangelist working together. So we see the building up of the church. We see those churches that have already been established being, uh, being uh, edified, built up. But then we see the apostle that's going forth, Barnabas, with Mark, how that we see the evangelist that's propagating the gospel, propagating the message, and one of the things that's important about Mark is his writing of the gospel is to the common man. Again, I can't emphasize how important that even what looked in the natural maybe a disagreement, a conflict, that how that with making some good decisions, God's kingdom was increased and the service of God even through these individuals. And, you know, I think another thing that needs to be said here that we've discussed is finding your place where God has called, equipped, and anointed you, and we will see results. With that being said, um, let me read what's in the syllabus here. It says, when the people are fighting each other, they are not fighting Satan, God wants leaders to deal with conflict and discipline effectively so the work of his kingdom can proceed. Now, with all that being said, let me uh, emphasize that we, again, the passage of Scripture that is our key verse, I think is important that we elaborate on it. And I would even encourage you to look these particular key words up in the Greek. Um and, and receive from them. And I'm going to give you some things to think about. When we look at these verses of, of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, I'm going to break this down because this is the role of God's word. 
this is um, God's word has an important role in solving discipline problems and conflicts. So we can take this passage of scripture and understand that it can be a guide. It can be a help of how we establish leaders that they will find the way biblically and with Christian uh, love and, and that of, of operating in not only the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. It says all Scripture is given. And let me just stop there. When it says all Scripture, we're talking about the authority. We're talking about God's authority. And it's given by inspiration, which it means that it's breathed by God. Now, we even see the breath of God in creation as God spoke and Jesus created in the book of Genesis. So the word of God itself is inspired. It's the very breath of God. And then we find that it says it is profitable. It is advantageous. What really we're saying there, it's helpful. It is helpful uh, it, and, and, and it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. What's doctrine? Doctrine is not something that we need to be scared of, but it's instruction. Instruction. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> for reproof. And this is where we get the, the concept of interest that we need to uh, relate here. It's conviction or evidence. We have doctrine, which is instruction for reproof. We see the, we see the evidence we see the evidence and then for correction and that means where anything needs to be straightened up anything needs to put in order anything that needs to be uh, corrected or adjusted and of course again we see a word here that I think that is strong for instruction and uh, <laughs> that gives us an understanding of evaluation or motive or to train. Uh, you know, I think it's important that we um, train, uh, and through our training, we're wanting to motivate people, but also it gives us an opportunity through instruction to evaluate, to make evaluation also uh, of what is going on and, and where we're at and, and in our spiritual walk and our spiritual maturity and definitely with that of anything that is in decision-making or even correction or discipline or conflict. Now, it goes on to say righteousness. Now, this is powerful because we look at the word righteousness and we could just say, okay, that which is right or a uh, attitude or, or a lifestyle. And, and I'm going to emphasize the word lifestyle there because that's important. But when we go back to the Greek terminology of understanding the word righteousness there, it is speaking us of us living in that of justification. We're living in a lifestyle of not operating in a sinful lifestyle. That, that's powerful. And there's a lot I could elaborate here, but justification God is looking at us and our maturity and our spiritual level ought to be continuing that we are living in that of justification without sin, 
of above sin, not living lifestyle of, of sin. That's very important. And of course, that resolves the need for discipline and it resolves uh, a lot of conflicts when we think of it in that realm. So uh, I think when we look at the next verse, verse number uh, 17, it, it actually, I believe just what the syllabus says here can say what needs to be. When we discipline and solve conflicts on the basis of God's word, people are perfected and equipped for the work of ministry. God's word is effective for discipline, reproof, and correction. And even reading that verse, and, and I've underlined, I think, uh, at least uh, about four key words that the man of God, well, I guess I could say that's important, that we know our relationship, may be perfect. There we go. Thoroughly. It's something that's thorough. It's something that's coming to uh, maturity. Furnished unto all good works. So that's important that we see that. On page 100, um, it, it makes a statement. It's in about the third paragraph. And I want to go to the biblical pattern, which is on page 99 in your syllabus. But there's a statement that I have uh, highlighted. Anytime a ministry or work is launched, it will experience the same pattern. There will be discipline problems and conflicts from without and within. Satan wants to destroy the work of the ministry. Now, we understand that that's the tactic of the enemy, because if he can stop the work, and we can see that even with uh, the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time, and I won't go into all that, but how that they actually... Uh, they continued to build, they wouldn't come down, but yet they even armed themselves ready to fight if necessary to do so. Now, a biblical pattern is given here about midway down on page 99, and it elaborates the first six chapters of the book of Acts in just a brief uh, sentence of each of these chapters that I think is uh, a good thing for us to read. Anytime a church organization or work of God is launched, it goes through certain stages of development. And that lines up with what we read on page 100. Here's an example of those stages. So let's look at these, and it would pay to read these chapters, the first six chapters of Acts again. But in Acts 1, we see that God chose certain individuals or certain men. And then Acts chapter 2, he gave these men a ministry. And then chapter 3, there was a great multiplication. We see where on the day of Pentecost, there was 5,000 and then, or there was 3,000. Then later there was 5,000 because uh, we began to see what takes place. Then in chapter 4, a great movement was born, the church. So by the fourth chapter, we see the church is growing by uh, leaps and bounds, and we see uh, some wonderful things happening. Now, we see in Acts chapter 5 and, ver and, and also chapter 6, discipline and conflict arose. So there's two things that we know that arose um, in the church. And first of all, there was that of Ananias and Sapphire. We see where they uh, lied to the Holy Spirit, and there had to be consequences. There was discipline. There was uh, uh, there was discipline carried out in this conflict. And then, of course, we see by the sixth chapter how that the uh, office of deacon 
and deaconess comes into effect, definitely deacons, and, and we see how for that of ministering to the needs of definitely the widows so that the apostles could stay with prayer and the word and ministry. Now, of course, these conflicts were within the church, and then, of course, we can see that there is conflict outside. So we definitely see that there was inside the church, there was a discipline problem that arose with Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we see what takes place there with Ananias and Sapphire. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42, conflict without the church arises, and uh, the disciples stand in the face of opposition and boldly, um, um, boldly declare, we ought to obey God rather than man, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ, Acts uh, chapter 5, verses 9 and verse 42. So we see the Ananias Sapphire situation was inside. We see the church, and then we see the conflict outside the church was when the gospel began to be propagated, how the, the crowd and the, ma, uh, and, and, and the manner of, of uh, legal uh, tried to stop them from preaching, told them not to speak the name, uh, but they made the declaration that they would obey God rather than man. And then, of course, we can see where that uh, the conflict was also from within the church in Acts chapter number 6, when it uh, was in reference to that of taking care of those that were in need. Now, let's talk about, um, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> let's talk about the true reasons for conflict and, and I think this is important that we talk about that because it gives us some understanding from a biblical perspective on page 100 it says the Bible reveals the true reason behind conflict between believers uh, in the church and Christian ministries now there's um, a statement made here but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth. And I said that's a statement. It is a statement. But uh, as I look down, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm quoting scripture. Uh, this wisdom uh, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, uh, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And this is James chapter number 3, verses 14 through 16. So we see where there's bitterness and there's envy and there's strife. Um, it's not going to bring glory, and it also is a lie to the truth. It's a lie to the truth. And uh, so we, we go on, and we continue to see that James even says that uh, uh, there is confusion and every evil work. So these kind of things working, envy and strife, and we can see that where somebody is wanting their way, um, they're not operating in the fruit of the Spirit. They're not even operating in a Christian. Uh, and they may not be Christian. They may not be a believer. There may be an implant. Uh, but there's strife and there's envy. And we see that it will and can create every evil work. Every evil work. Now, James goes on to say in verse number 1 of the 4th chapter, From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members now really i made the statement just a moment ago it could be somebody that's come in infiltrating that's not a believer but i honestly believe james is talking to believers here from whence come wars and fighting among you come they not hence from even from your lust that war in your members so we've got we've got uh carnal or we've got unsupervised by the spirit believers that are causing these wars and these conflicts because of their lust we may not be talking about so sexual but we're talking about their lust their desires that are not proper that are unscriptural that are go against god's principles and and even the that of the the, the fruit of the spirit we find that paul uh gives in first corinthians chapter three i think a very important thought here for ye are for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, you're walking as that of men in the natural. You're walking in your carnality. You're not walking in that of the law of the Spirit here. And it's causing this strife and this division. Below our scripture there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 3, that the Apostle Paul shared about the carnality <laughs> of the believer, I believe there's a good sentence there. It says, conflict arises because of spiritual immaturity and carnal Christians motivated by Satan, the flesh, and pride. And that is a very strong statement there. Conflicts arise because of spiritual maturity. And what's sad, we do have spiritual maturity in the church, which develops and causes carnal Christians and definitely it's a tactic of the enemy to do that and it's built upon our flesh and our pride and pride of course is what got satan in 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 trouble and it'll get us in trouble also if we operate in that of any type of spiritual immaturity let's talk about preventing conflicts there is uh, 11 uh, things here that are mentioned I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to be basic with them. But uh, it, it says here, the best way to handle conflict is to prevent it before it occurs. And you know, that is true. If we see something that needs to be taken care of, we need to go ahead and do something about it because it will prevent what may occur that could be a bigger crisis than what it would have been at the moment. Now, also, I think there has to be some discernment here because sometimes we have to even then be uh, seeking wisdom uh, and, and be operative in the right, proper uh, uh, scriptural uh, actions to, to do what we do uh, to uh, prevent whatever occurs or could occur. Now, here's some ways to prevent um, conflict. We raise up spiritual mature believers. And of course, we uh, right here won't take the time to read, but we have read uh, the scriptures there out of uh, James chapter 3, verses uh, 14, verse 16, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we're to raise up spiritual mature uh, believers. We're to keep people well informed. And I'll tell you, that is an issue today if we're not careful well, let me just say this. Overall in life, keeping 
people well-informed or good communication. Confusion and lack of information creates problems. And it goes on and talks about building strong bridges of communication between those involved with you in the work of the ministry. We don't need to be speculators. We don't need to be making um, uh, assumptions, but we need to work together to communicate. And it talks about like Moses, Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, they were good communicators. So we need to become a good communicator. And then uh, number uh, three is whenever you are doing a work for God, there is always there will always be problems. Now, I, I may have already said this in class, but let's look at what our opportunities might be versing our problems. How can we make what is an issue or a problem an opportunity? Let people know you expect problems, that you are not surprised when they arise, and that you know you will be able to solve them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's where confidence in the Word of God and the anointing and the power of God is important. We need to think ahead. And I agree, just as much as communication is important, planning, making plans, be careful, planning, you can deal with many problems before they become conflicts. And there's so much that could be said there. Some people say, well, you know, I, I don't think we ought to be worried about tomorrow. But listen, I believe that we need to be people that make good plans. Also, as we give consideration about making good plans, also building good, strong relationships um, that with the people that we work with, um, say only good about others. We need to learn to to uh, actually uh, edify, strengthen people. So building good relationships is very important in what we say, how we train, how we work together. And then sixthly, we can look at the fact that given sincere appreciation, and that goes back to what I was saying with the edifying and credit to those who work with you in ministry. Um, you know, as leaders, it's not what we've done, it's working together as a team. It's building others because technically that's what this part of leadership with us ought to be is how we're equipping others that are uh, in the work together as we minister one, uh, one and, and together and for the cause of others. Then uh, seventh, if you make a mistake, now boy, this is a big one. Uh, we want to find ways to curve around that, but we need to be big enough uh, to admit it and correct it. And I think that is one of the most valuable things about leadership is making decisions, but then if it was not the best decision or a wrong decision, or we make a mistake that we will uh, take and we be accountable, yes, that we did, and this is what we done. Um, because people will begin to trust you when they realize that you're human and that your intentions and motives were proper. So we need to be able to admit. And then the other side of that that's very important is how we work together to correct that. And then eighth, be clear in your purpose and your plans of ministry. That goes again with uh, planning and, and also having a foundation of, of what the ministry is about, uh, communications, good relationships, 
and and also our communication if anyone knows <coughs> excuse me if everyone knows what you are doing and why there is less opportunity for misunderstanding and conflict and then ninth we need to look and uh, see uh, when it is necessary to set rules establish clear rules and communicate them immediately to others and that one we have to look at in perspective of what is healthy what is uh, needed what is definitely biblically structure of when we're making uh, rules or establishing uh, things of that nature then tenth be available to your co-workers so you will be aware of problems when they arise without your attention tension simple problem problems can be turned into big conflicts so we do need to make ourselves available just because we're the leader does not mean or in leadership that we're untouchable yes there is delegation or delegating that's part of the process of good leadership uh, also uh, people being involved but then again we also need to be available and working together that does not cause or does not allow the possibility of of uh, complications or problems developing into big complications or conflicts and then number 11 before we take a, a, a break operate the ministry and this is so important and we've already stated it operate the ministry on biblical principles the greatest of which is love if our view will be to love people to reach out to who they are and what their needs are and we keep it we keep it real with what Jesus said what the principles of the Word of God are and we operate in love we're going to uh, benefit ourselves and we're going to see less uh, of that of conflict now we're going to take a break uh, and then we'll come back in just a little bit and uh, we'll be dealing with conflict and reason for discipline and principles of discipline or some issues that we'll deal with with our furtherance of this particular lesson number nine okay we took just a few minutes of a break and we want to come back and we were talking about preventing conflicts in our last uh, part of our uh, class here and we listed the 11 things on page 101 in your syllabus we want to talk about dealing with conflict and uh, I think that's important in to know the principles of preventing but also dealing with it when it does happen uh, when a problem or conflict does arise follow these guidelines so we've got some guidelines it says make yourself available to deal with it uh, you cannot handle problems if you are never around. So we've got to make ourselves visible. We've got to be, um, we've got to be where we can help uh, and be available to help deal with whatever, <coughs> excuse me, the conflicts are. One of the things that I think we definitely must do before we touch anything is pray for wisdom to deal with the problem. And I'm reminded in the book of James it says, if any man asks, if any man lack wisdom, add him let him ask of God which giveth liberally and upbraideth not. God is not going to withhold to those with a true heart wisdom in how to handle things and we're looking for biblical perspective on that. Uh, thirdly, we need to determine the real problem. Now, that's, that's the truth. If we don't know what the real problem is, we're going to waste a lot of times and we're going to cause more frustration and could cause even more conflict. The conflict is not the real problem what caused the problem the conflict is the problem so 
what really is being said there, if we can get to the very root of the situation, it's going to help resolve whatever the conflict is or any further um, growth of that situation. And it gives some advice here. Um, we need to determine the problem. Uh, we, we, we're, going to need, we're going to need to ask questions. Uh, we're going to have to observe. Uh, we need to continue to pray for revelation. And one thing for sure, we need to listen to all sides of the problem and to all people involved. It's not fair. Uh, it's not, and, and actually, it's not good Christian character for any rudeness or interruption. We need to be able to listen to all the sides and to have a clear understanding of what has either caused this conflict or what the definite real problem is. So um, we don't need to make no actions of, of, of any uh, thing until we have understood all the facts, all the facts. We need to keep in mind what the real source of, pro of the problem is. And, of course, we can remember our scriptures that we've talked about out of uh, James uh, chapter 3 and also uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Uh, about envy and strife and the carnality uh, and not operating in that of spiritual maturity and how that it can end up being a work motivated by Satan where the flesh and pride comes in to uh, play there. Fourthly, we need to let people who are directed effective by the problem suggest solutions. Sometimes those that are involved in the situation um, can give solutions and as we pull the situation we pull pull make a pool of, of the different things of suggestions um, it's not that we want to just say okay we're going to go with John's idea of how to resolve this and that may be the answer uh, but there again sometimes when John and then Jim and Sue and we've, we've sat down and we've prayerfully and we've laid everything out we've heard all the sides and then suggestions how to resolve this. It may not just be one person's uh, suggestion. As we as we look at all the suggestions, it's definitely we need to be looking for that that complements that brings a clear, uh, a positive, a Christian, a biblical means of resolving the situation. Then fifthly. List the conflict in a personal problem between the two people. Bring them together following the principles of Matthew 18, uh, 15, and 17. So uh, there is the need uh, to come in together uh, to resolve this, this conflict. Uh, and, and to really be honest with you, let me just interject something. I know sometimes in ministry and definitely when you're a pastor, you want to have somebody say something in reference. Well, pastor, I need to tell you something in confidence. We have to be careful with that because if we're not careful, our ears have become a gateway for gossip. And I'll tell you how to resolve that. And a lot of times it needs to be done is if there's a real issue or a problem or a situation of concern here with brother or sister so-and-so, let us pray about it and let us approach and go together and let's meet because that will resolve it because most of the time if it's definitely gossip it's going to stop there because they don't want to meet with brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so 
even if they're part of the situation if they don't want to do what's right and definitely if it's gossip i believe it can help stop it right in uh, as one fellow said nip it in the bed so keep that in mind another thing is point six is we need to deal with conflicts with a proper attitude we need to go into the time that we're gathering the information we're gathering together whatever we need to go in there with a positive attitude we need to keep our mind and our heart and our spirit focused on allowing the holy spirit to control us with the fruit of the spirit and one of those is long suffering one of those is temperance and then we could throw all the other components in there in the right perspective but with the proper attitude there's going to be times we need to bite our tongues and we need to be careful what we say because it may not you know let me say it this way there may be the need for something to be said but it may not be the moment for it to be said there may be the need for something to be said but you know we may not be the person that needs to say that uh but but there again that's where discernment that's where wisdom comes in um so we find that we're to deal with the conflict with a proper attitude and some of the things that i think there are that are a product of that of a proper attitude are listed here be forgiving uh and definitely we're, we should be in resolving uh, or restoring uh, uh seeking to restore rather than severe uh, severe relationships now, I know there's going to be some possibilities that people are going to go different ways. But listen, we need to attempt to leave even in Christian love and realize that whatever is being resolved here and needs to be, it's for the fact of everybody leaves in that of what restoration that can be. And also, not only that, that will benefit the kingdom of God. Remember, even though paul and barnabas disagreed god used that so the churches would be built up and edified by two apostles and then an evangelist or excuse me a prophet and a prophet uh, silas and then the uh, apostle of uh, uh, paul going out and re uh re-emphasizing to the congregations the churches that are already established and then you've got barnabas that's an apostle and then the evangelist how god could use the apostle and also the evangelistic work of the gospel being propagated and the kingdom of god was added to and even through the differences god used it for his glory i'll tell you one thing is that we never get in we never get to a place that we become angry to that of yelling and I'll guarantee if we took a survey amongst us, there's been some time in our life, it may have not been church related, but just in everyday life, even maybe with a family member, that we got to the point that we became angry and we actually began to yell, maybe even said things that we really should not have said. And later we have to ask forgiveness. And, you know, folks, we know that when we let it out and our tongue says it, it's harder to retrieve that and you're not going to retrieve what you said yes there is forgiveness that can happen but that's where we need to think before we speak we need to come with an attitude that we're not going to become angry we're not going to draw let, let somebody draw us in to be angry and definitely we don't need to begin to say bad things and our conversation to go that that's not even christian and god forbid 
uh, what we have going on in the world today and in the church that people that have uh, mouths and say things and language sometimes that really surprises me and I won't go any further with that. Then uh, we're to use tack. Tack is the ability to deal with difficult situations with wisdom and love without offending people. And that's kind of what we've been talking about in the fact of our attitude. We've got to, uh, it involves being sensitive to others, being understanding, and using words that restore and heal rather than divide and wound. Uh, We need to be flexible. Do not be selfishly set on having your own way. Be open to different ideas and ways of solving the problems. If something productive is coming through this and it's staying within a biblical perspective, we need to look for those avenues that will help bring a restoration, that will bring an understanding to this uh, conflict and, uh, and deal with it to where we can resolve it. Then seventh was deal with one conflict or problem at a time. That is true. And let me just interject this. It's so easy to be in the middle of a conflict or talking about it or doing and attempting to do what's proper about it to resolve it. And somebody wants to bring something else that may be an issue, but we need to deal with what's at the table, not complicate it. Now, I'm not talking about not bringing the facts and the truth of the matter, but we don't need to bring in things that do not in any way apply to this situation because it does nothing uh, but bring confusion. And, and the syllabus says, do not confuse the issue by discussing other related problems. Now, uh, number eight. When you have a clear understanding of the problem causing the conflict, act immediately to correct that. Now, I want to say that like this. I don't think we need to waste time. We don't need to sit on it. We need to be proactive and we need to make the decision and run with it. Now, there is an understanding that we need to know that things sometimes has to be in a proper order or setting as we as we resolve the situation in a timely manner so it says when you have a clear understanding of the problem causing the conflict act immediately to correct it so don't sit on it weeks and months and and never get it accomplished whatever has been decided that it looks as if uh from a biblical perspective and all parties that it will resolve the matter because that's going to cause a conflict remember that a solution should always advance the kingdom of god underline that make that a motto remember that the solution should always advance the kingdom of god and again even the syllabus brings up in point number eight turn conflicts into cooperation as in the example of Paul and Barnabas that we've already discussed from the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Number nine, explain why you're handling the conflict the way you are. For example, in the church conflict described in Acts 15, the leaders explained their decision in detail in writing to those involved. So once that council made the decision what they were going to do in reference to the Gentiles and definitely circumcision, they actually wrote it out and they sent it back and they it was delivered. So I'll say this. I, I definitely believe that it would be healthy. It would be sensible and it would help. 
possibly not cause further con uh, conflict if we, when we sit down, actually we write out what the conflict is. So we got it right there before us so we can stay with that thought. Then when we come to a resolution or a resolve, we, I would suggest that we write that out and maybe even, uh, well, let me back up and set this way. It would be, I think, healthy for all parties to have a copy of it to reference back. So that, that's, a, that's a something positive to look at. Then number 10, the last of these uh, points that we're making right now in reference to dealing with conflict. Number 10, thank God for the problem. Now, that doesn't sound very, very good, does it? But it says, thank God for the problem and what you have learned from the experience. That is when we do a self-inventory and then we can thank God how that has helped us to be stronger, maybe to be corrected, uh, to mature, uh, using God's wisdom, maybe even God's gifts in operation. And so make it, make it a thanksgiving and definitely, definitely evaluate what you've learned from the experience. Now, I'm not going to go into it, but I could take and give you some things over the years that as pastoring for 30 years that I've dealt with. And yes, I can look back at some of those. And yes, I think some good decisions were made. And yes, there was decisions now that I wish that I could go back and probably uh, see something maybe a little different. But the thing about it is we learn from our experiences. When you give thanks and everything, it relates to the, it releases the divine energy and power of God to work on your behalf. The Bible says to give thanks in all things. We don't want conflict. But you know what? I, I'm just sitting here thinking, if I was praying right now, you know what I want to pray is God in this conflict. Let us as brothers and sisters find your peace. Find where we in any way need love to abound. And, and you could go on with that prayer. And you're giving thanks. Lord, I thank you. If there's any area that we're needing right now to resolve in our life, that we're not operating in the fruits of the Spirit, and it's hindering the gifts and the callings of our life. And so we're even doing that in a, in a productive way of, uh, of giving thanks. Now, there's four things that are spoken here in our syllabus that are reasons for discipline. Uh, it's the nature of sin to rebel against authority. Now, what's being said there, there's four things we're going to uh, bring up that are reasons for discipline. But we need to realize what the root of the reason for, uh, for, for uh, discipline comes from the fact of the nature of sin, and it's to rebel against the authority, the authority of God, uh, civil law, whatever. Uh, this was the uh, call. This was caused. This is what caused the original sin of Lucifer, the devil, and of man, Adam and Eve. It was that of rebelling against God's word, his authority. And there's a little bit more said there. Uh, and let me just read it. Because of the base, basic sin nature, you will sometimes have to lead those who may not want to be led. You will have followers who fall into rebellion, sin, and evidence of spiritual carnality and immaturity. 
the pastor or spiritual leader has the authority for discipline within the church or ministry because he has the responsibility for the spiritual welfare of the followers. And I want to say right now, any person that's in the leadership of, of a spiritual leadership and definitely a pastoral, I'm going to tell you this is important that we are mind, we are God-minded, we're word-based, and this is a great responsibility of importance. Uh, the scripture tells us, and this is where we get the understanding for the spiritual authority of discipline from spiritual leaders. Obey them that have the rule over you. Now, that word uh, rule there, I want you to think of it as one that cares for you, one that shepherds, one that cares for you. And submit yourself for their watch for your soul as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there's this warning of even how the spiritual leader is going to be held accountable, and also that it ought to be a joy. Not that we think conflict is joyful, but we do it with a heart of joy because we understand what's going to be the end result, and that's restoration. That's what we're going after, spiritual restoration uh, and that of, uh, of tranquility and working together and God being glorified, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So it's even unprofitable for the spiritual leader if we don't uh, operate in the right authority. And then if there is not the spiritual rule over uh, the body of Christ or the or, or the, the fold, we see that it's going to cause an unprofitable for them, be unprofitable. Then we... Uh, come to the four points, and I'm going to read what the uh, syllabus says here. It says, the leader must be willing to handle discipline problems immediately when they occur. To allow spiritual failure of sin to go unchallenged can be fatal to any ministry. Now, it can be. It can be fatal to the ministry, but also think about, and, and I know ministry is a broad word here, but think about what repercussions it can have on other individuals uh, and people that are a part of that ministry. Uh, and that's part of the fatality of it. Here are some spiritual reasons for discipline. There's four things here, and I believe that these would be test questions. Um, but uh, it says to restore a person. That ought to be the first thing in mind. It's not just to take them out or to... Um, to belittle them or destroy them. I think a wonderful example of being restored is John chapter 21. When Jesus is there on the seaside, he's already got breakfast cooking, and they ain't caught one fish all night. And thank God for John that knew the voice of the Lord. And when Jesus said, children, do you have any bread? I mean, do you have any meat? Um, and Jesus was already uh, broiling fish on the coals. So what am I saying? That moment, that morning was the restoration, not only a restoration, but it was promotion for that of Peter. Jesus three times talked to Peter and three times the Lord dealt with Peter. And when it was all said and done, the Lord told Peter what he was going to become. 
that he was going to be an elder, that he was going to be one over uh, the sheep. And we see that. We see that this was a moment of promotion. And we see that Peter had to acknowledge that he loved his Lord. He loved his Lord there. So there was a restoration there. Then definitely it is to correct sin. And you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse number 9. I'm not going to read these verses, but it'd be worth you going back and reading these, keeping them for reference in these four points. The first is to restore a person. And of course, Galatians 6, 1 talks about that. If we see our brother that sinned or a weaker brother, and then we see in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, and verse 14, 15, it tells us how, how to handle that. And in restoring a person, and then number two is to correct sin. And then three is to protect the Christian testimony of the church. Now listen, no matter, even if we do things biblically, that does not mean that there's not going to be somebody that's going to say something out of the way or spread a rumor or say the wrong thing of how it came down in the correction. But the thing is, when it's all said and done, the biblical order that we take, it should protect the testimony of the church. It should protect that of our Lord and the, and, and the testimony of the church. All right. Fourthly, to encourage members to ref, remain faithful in their witness and not to become careless. That is very important. So we're looking at the body in general to encourage members to remain faithful in their witness and not to become careless. Now, there are some principles that are mentioned here, and there's about nine of those. And I'm just going to kind of just run through them. Uh, and uh, this uh, should be part of restoration. Principles for discipline. Here are some guidelines for discipline. Go first to the erring brother. And we have scripture there out of Luke chapter 17. Also Matthew 18 uh, verses 15 through 17. We go to the erring brother and solve the matter individually and personally if possible. It is not my place to go get on the telephone and say, Hey, I saw brother so-and-so coming out of some establishment or some place. It is my place to go to that brother if there is something that looks sinful or looks out of where we need to be concerned. I'll give you an illustration. I used to be in transportation with the school system and just a, 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 a down-to-earth term that's a bus driver, school bus driver, and I did that while I was pastoring some to, uh, to supplement or to uh, my income. And one morning, I was coming uh, I was coming I was I was coming up the road and all of a sudden I seen one of our buses that was swerving in the road. I did not see what happened. I did not see what happened. I went on and discharged my children and then I went back to my staging area where we parked and this individual parked there. Now I immediately could have run in and to my supervision and said I saw bus so and so and they were all over the road. I did not see what happened, but I went up to that friend of mine, a fellow colleague, and I just walked up and me and him just, you know, having a cordial conversation. And I said, hey, man, what in the world was going on down there? And, and I'll just say Main Street. And 
I said, I saw all of a sudden you swerve. He said, man, you didn't see that car it pulled out in front of me. He said, I was doing everything to stop. And he did. He got stopped. I said, no, I didn't. Now, I could have went in and, and said, hey, you know, so-and-so was all over the road. He's driving a school bus. And I know he had kids on the bus because he was fixing to unload. And, and my concern was proper. What I did was proper. What I done was proper. I went to the source to find out what the situation was other than making some kind of allegation. And I could go on further with that than I want. And I think you get the picture there. Okay, number two, if the erring brother will not listen to you and repent, go again with witnesses. That's Matthew 18, 15, 17. So we're talking about something that's serious, folks. We're talking about something that this believer is erring. It's going to cause uh, it's going to cause loss in that person's life, uh, their their spiritual life, also what testimony it may have on the church or other people. Uh, so this is getting deep. Then thirdly, if he refuses to hear you, take the matter before the entire church. Folks, that is getting deep. Now let me say something here. There's an order of that. You just don't get up and blurt out in the middle of church or a business meeting their brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so there is a proper order going through the spiritual leadership or they setting the course of that in place now i'm not going to go into any details but several years ago i had to be on a hearing of of, of a couple ministers and it was a very questionable thing i'm not going to go into all the details but i will say this there was some resources. And when it was all resolved, yes, if I took the very word of when this this situation came to us or came to the leadership, by what was said, it looked as if these people walked out of the church with some funds that wasn't, but when was not of theirs. But when we sat down and we reasoned, we reasoned the situation out and understood where their place with the situation, what they had been told, and what transpired, we understood that there was a misunderstanding of communication between two parties because if you ran with what was said by someone, it looked as if they had taken funds and would have, it, would have uh, misappropriated them or had no reason to do that. But when we found out what, what the deal was, why what was said was said, and what was to be done, it was a done deal, a total different situation. So that's why we have to be careful about things, and it be led by spiritual counsel and leadership, even in the church, when it definitely gets to that point. Discipline should be done by, and, and number four just reemphasizes it, Discipline should be done by leaders with a proper spirit. And I encourage you to read all the verses there. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Romans 15, 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, and Galatians 6 and 4. Spiritual mature believers are to first judge themselves and then deal with offenders with a spirit of meekness, love, and helpfulness. That was number four. Number five, let me just uh, quickly run through the rest of these. 
Correction should be done with the purpose of restoring the fender who has been taken captive by Satan. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 26. Remember, everything we're doing is for the goal of restoration. Now, this is sad. Number six, if correction is refused, discipline may include exclusion from the fellowship. One of the greatest gifts of God has, been, has given believers is fellowship with other believers. We need that fellowship. It's part of our growth. It's part of us being connected as the body of Christ. One of the most severe punishments is withholding such fellowship. We should not be quick to move to that. We should never be quick to move to that. And there's reasons why that that should be the last resort. It should be the last resort. I don't have the time, but I've had to do that one time in 30 years of ministry. Ask someone, please do not come back to the church. They've been restored. They've been restored now. Uh, but there again, it, it would have caused more conflict with what was going on if they would have come back to the church. Opportunity is number seven, should be given for the erring brother to respond. We need to allow them to respond. His attitude should affect the discipline and future in ministry. What that means is also, how are they going to respond to the discipline? And that gives us an idea of where they're at in that of being restored. Let me move on to number eight. Private problems and public sins should not be should should excuse me should be handled differently there is a place and a time for some things private problems and public sins should be handled differently there's things that are public you have to handle that in different way than you would something private some things that are private don't need to be made public some things that are public we don't hide it but we've got to deal with it in a different way and of course we've got scripture <coughs> there for that Excuse me. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 14. These are things that we need to read. We need to keep these uh, as keys to use. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 20. In the passage from Matthew, it seems the problem was between private and individuals. It was to be dealt with by enlisting the aid of other believers and if the offender would not listen by excluding him from the fellowship. In the other passage, the problem were matters of public record, so they had to be dealt with publicity. Um, so those are some of the different things that we have to consider. Number nine, ex experience, excuse me, exercise discipline only on the basis of factual knowledge. If you don't know that it is a fact, it is not to be used. Hearsay evidence is not sufficient. If it's not good in the court, how much more in the body of Christ? Well, I heard. Well, did you see? We need to be in the right, proper order of this. Evidence is not sufficient. Hearsay. There must be also two or three witnesses. And we have scripture that we've already uh, referenced here. And I encourage you to read all these scriptures and know them in reference to this. And we're going to close this chapter. We won't go into the further study. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your self-test. But as we close, 
there's on page 104 of your syllabus. I think this is something that we need to re-emphasize, and we already know it, a rule to remember. So when everything is said and done, a rule to remember, a good rule to remember when you must discipline others is Matthew 7, verse 12. This comes out of the Revised Standard Version. It says, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. That right there speaks volumes with somebody definitely that wants to be restored. Definitely. Is you are speaking in reference to, I want the biblical perspective of this to be what comes out of this. How we handle even my discipline. And then not only that, but even as we may be the ones that are in the responsibility of carrying out some of the discipline, how would we want to be looked at and treated in the same circumstances if it was us? And folks, that's when mercy steps up. And and I know a lot of this has to do with the heart of even those that are disciplined and those that need to be dis- disciplined. So keep that in mind. And I think as we close, and I'm going to close with, I'm going to read the verse again. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. And then the syllabus writer gives us three things to ask ourselves. And I believe that these will help us. They will tremendously help us. Always ask yourself, what does God's word say about this? If God's word specifically says something in reference to this issue, this conflict, or this discipline that needs to take place, that's where we start. Second, would how would Jesus handle this? Wow, that says tremendous volumes. How would Jesus handle this? Now, I'm going to say this in reference to that. In John chapter 8, Jesus did not in any way uh, overlook the woman that was brought with that of accusation of being caught in the very act of adultery. He didn't downplay that, but he knew he knew every situation of that situation. One, where was the man? She was called in the very act of adultery. Come on, folks, give me a break here. It takes, and I'm just going to say it this way, it takes two to tangle. So they were already out of order because the man wasn't there. Because if you go back to the law, and there could have been punishment for both of them. So how would Jesus handle it? Well, Jesus signed everybody in with a with a hearing. I believe when he scribbled in the in the dust at first, I think he was taking and making a roster of everybody that was there that was making the accusation, as you would a witness in, in the court of law. Then second of all, um, we know what Jesus said: "He that's without uh, without uh, sin, let him cast the first stone." And really, I believe when we examine that passage of scripture and take it back to the original language. Jesus was talking about that particular sin. Now that makes it real heavy. That makes it real heavy because every person in that room or where they were at, they left. 
And if the disciples were there, now think about this. I'm not trying to be silly. Even the disciples must have stepped out because Jesus looked up and he says, where is your accusers? And to our understanding, it's possibly nobody was standing there. Now, we don't know. There may be some, but nobody picked up a stone to cast at her. So we see how Jesus handled it. And one of the last things Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. What Jesus was saying, this is not your lifestyle anymore. Jesus not only dealt with it, but he restored that woman. He restored her. How would Jesus handle this? I think you ought to put the word restore beside the question mark. Number three, and we're going to close. How would I want to be treated in this situation if our positions were reversed and I was him and he was me? And I think that question needs to be asked by both parties. The one that's being disciplined and the one that's administering the discipline. I hope that this lesson has been a help to you as a spiritual leader and biblical management. Uh, this will be class three, lesson one, until we come back together with lesson 10. We'll see you then. God bless.